Thank you all. Thank you, Pastor Sai. I tell you what, that was such a great introduction. I can hardly wait to hear what I'm going to say. Okay. <laughs> all right. <laughs> Guys, I'm excited to be here today. I enjoyed this topic. I enjoyed getting ready to talk to you. I'm going to talk today about epiphanies. Epiphanies, you know what an epiphany is? It's those moments, those moments that change everything. There are historical epiphanies, there are biblical epiphanies, and I hope there are epiphanies in your life. And if that, for some of you, it's going to be this morning. You know who uh, Archimedes is? Um, Archimedes was stepping out of a bathtub, and he realized that the, uh, the distance of water, the, uh, uh, the height of the water had gone down the exact volume of his body. So he figured out an equation to, uh, to determine the volume of inanimate objects. And uh, he called that his epiphany. Isaac Newton called the apple falling on his head the epiphany. Uh, the apostle Paul, uh, Saul, when he was on the road to Damascus and a great light uh, shone and he was knocked off his horse and Jesus Christ talked to him directly. Now that was an epiphany. It's a moment when everything changes and it's a moment when you can be changed too if you'll let God do it. So today I'm going to talk about epiphanies. I'm going to talk in terms of, and we're continuing, by the way, our visitation series, times when God sent angels or other people to uh, burst into the lives and to change something. In these last few weeks, we've talked about, of course, um, Zephyr, Zechariah, and Elizabeth, how the angel came and, and um, um, astonished Zechariah, and, and he told, uh, not told, but uh, indicated to his wife what had happened, because he was uh, mute by then. But, uh, and then later, Mary and Joseph, Mary got the visitation from the angels and said, I believe that. Whatever the Lord says, it's true. Be it done unto me according to his word. That was a characteristic of biblical epiphanies. People submitted to what they felt like God had shown them. And finally, on Christmas Day, if you were here, you heard us talk, and Pastor Loreco talking about uh, the shepherds and about the epiphany when the angels spoke to them in the fields and said, glory to God in the highest, peace on earth, goodwill toward men. For unto you this day in the city of David is born a Savior who is the Christos, the anointed one of, Lord, of the Lord. And it changed everything for them. And they submitted instantly and they said, great, let's go worship him. <laughs> Epiphanies, important moments. Today we're going to talk about our need to seek him. And I'm going to focus on the biblical story of the Magi. Magi, you know where that word comes from? Um, okay, Magi, which uh, meant a wise man, didn't have any other meaning, didn't actually mean a king, it just meant a wise person uh, priests of a certain sect in Persia were called magi. We actually get the word magic and magical from these, uh, these people. Um, but they, they had something remarkable happen to them. And that is, in their sect, Zoroastrianism, they practiced watching the stars. And as they were watching the stars, looking for signs of anything that might be going on, they saw and believed passionately 
that something has happened. Something is happening in Judea, in the land of the Jews. A great leader is being born. We're sure he's the king of the Jews. And, uh, and they did an incredible thing. They, they packed up. They said, let's do this. <laughs> if, the, if the most important thing in the world is happening somewhere else, let's be there. <laughs> Anybody relate to that? <laughs> yeah. Um, that Magi were people who were seeking meaning in their lives. They didn't want to do things that didn't matter when there were things that really mattered. And this thing they did was one of the coolest things of all. They correctly interpreted the astrological signs that an incredible king was being born in the land of the Jews. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed in all Jerusalem with him. These guys were aggressive. Where is the one? Where is he? Well, surely you all know about it. The most important thing of, the, of a lifetime is happening right now. So I'm sure any of you can tell me, where's the king of the Jews, the one that's just been born? Where is he? They were probably shocked <laughs> to learn that nobody really knew what they were talking about. But they were, they were not timid. They were bold. They were bold before Herod. And here's the thing. You know who Herod was? Herod was the king of the Jews. He was not amused to hear that a king of the Jews was being born because he had been king of the Jews for about 34 years, maybe a little more at that point. The Roman Senate had named him king of the Jews. He had gone to Rome on some business matter regarding Judea as a military leader, and the Roman Senate, for no clear reason, decided he's our man, he'll keep things straight in Judea, let's make him the king. And the Roman Senate declared him the king of the Jews. God didn't actually, but the Roman Senate did. And he had enjoyed this position for many years, and he had three grown sons. And he had already decided that after he died, that his uh, younger sister and his three grown sons were going to divide the land of Judea, and there would be four smaller kingdoms. And Herod was older at this point. He was over 70. So, you know, this could happen any time. Everything was set. I'm the king of the Jews today, and we'll have four kings tomorrow. And then the Magi came. Where is the king of the Jews that's just been born? Herod was disturbed. And all Jerusalem with him. So apparently the news spread that despite what everybody thought was the set status quo, that actually a new thing was happening. And Herod was disturbed and everybody in Jerusalem was disturbed with him. You know, the Magi only appear in the book of Matthew. You can't actually search and compare through all the scriptures. And these last few weeks we've been focusing on Luke mainly. So, um, but this is, this is an unusual story. And it, um, 
Uh, and yet, you know, we have no reason to believe it's not true. It's certainly not extra biblical. Uh, it is scripture. It is true. Um, but notice one thing there. He said, uh, the, the Magi said, we saw the star when it rose. It's past tense. The star's gone. Now they're poking around, knocking on doors, asking people, where's the king? Where's the king? Where's the king of the Jews? If it had been that easy, Herod would have gone out and followed that star himself. The star was gone. So Herod was disturbed. Just wanted to give you a little map. Okay, now, I was told in the fourth service that nobody could see these cities. Okay, so look, way over on, on my right, your left, you see Jerusalem is about in the center, okay? Nine kilometers south of Jerusalem is Bethlehem. The Magi probably came from somewhere way over here on the right in the land of Persia. Um, part of that is also legend and it's from some other historical documents that we have that indicate the Magi were from that area. We don't absolutely know that. Um, when he had called together, Herod, all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. He didn't know. He was king of the Jews, installed by the Roman Empire. He had no idea. It, didn't, it never occurred to him that, that religious stuff mattered. A lot of evidence that Herod the Great, Herod the First, was distinctly non-religious. He had a Jewish wife. He had her put away, ex exiled actually, banished from Judea because the, the marriage was not politically helpful, along with his oldest son. And he married a lady who was going to be able to help him in his political career. But then she couldn't really, and so he just had her killed outright. This was not a good man. <laughs> this was not a godly man. And he found out. They replied, well, this is what the prophet has written, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you, Bethlehem, will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Can you imagine Herod hearing that news? He's not from Bethlehem. He's not from the house of David. He's not even from one of the old tribes. He was from a group that came along later and added themselves to the Jews. Never occurred to him that in the obscure ancient religion of the people he was leading, that there were certain expectations about who could be the king of the Jews. Then Herod called the Magi secretly, I think the word is kind of stealthily, and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. They, he probably said, wow, yeah, how long did it take you to get here? Wow, oh, that long, well, wow, so did you start out right away? No? Oh, so you hung around for a few months and then you left? Wow, oh man, that must have been six months ago. Well, somehow, he weaseled out of them a time frame that he thought would explain how old is this child king. 
He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. And as soon as you find him, report it to me so that I too may go and worship him. Doesn't it sound like the hissing of a snake? So that I too may worship him. This was not a good man. So he inquired. Um, again, if you look very, very closely, down on the, on the left, uh, Jerusalem isn't on this map, but Bethlehem is. Because this map shows the journey of the Magi to their believed starting point, to the most likely route to get to. And, and, and Jerusalem, just again, just above Bethlehem. So they stopped in Jerusalem the capital of the Jews, where they thought everybody will know where the king is who's being born, and uh, got the information to go to Bethlehem. It's estimated that that trip took uh, four months by camel. Camels moving about 17 to 23 kilometers a day. If nothing goes wrong, if the camels don't get sick, if the wise men don't get sick, uh, if they don't stop too long, to confer with their brother Magi in other cities. They could have been there in four months. But when they first saw the star, what do you think they did? Ah, that's it. Get on the camels. We're leaving. No, they probably took some time to study. Is this what we think it is? Is this what's in our ancient text? Isn't that the sort of thing that only comes when there's a king, a major ruler being born? They probably consulted with all their Magi friends. So probably sometime in the weeks or months that followed the sighting of the star, they said, we're doing this. We are out of here. Line up the camels. We're going. And once they did, if they hurried, they could have done that trip in four months. So good reason to believe this was considerably long period, possibly up to a year after Jesus was born after the night in the stable when they rolled into Jerusalem. We know that uh, Herod listened to their story and said, okay, so wherever this kid is, he's under two years old, definitely. So all I have to do is kill every boy under two years old, and I'll definitely get him. And of course, as we know, that's what he did. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them. It returned, that's my comment, until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. It's like, ah, oh, the star, okay. <laughs> no more banging on the doors of desperate tyrants trying to get their opinion of where the king might be. The star is going to lead us now. They were overjoyed. On coming into the house, they saw the child with his mother, and they bowed down, and they worshipped him. And they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. The Magi came to a house, not to a stable. You know, there wasn't any room at the end on December 25th, but there probably was on December 26th. And if not, then 
Certainly by December 27th, 28th, you know. This is a year later. They're not hanging out in the stable. It says the Magi came into the house. That the star was over a house. And they came into a house where they saw Mary and the baby. Uh, it doesn't say they saw Joseph. He was probably just around somewhere getting food or something. And What's that? Getting Nando's, yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Heard they might have guests. Um, there's a picture here that I, I, can't, I don't exactly like, but I, I, what I like about it is that uh, the Magi come into a house, which is what they did. Scripture's clear. They came into a house. There are problems with this picture that Mary and Jesus look really white. I mean, look at them. <laughs> You know, Jews, Jews today or 2,000 years ago, they were never white. They were never Northern Europeans. Come on. So we know the origin of this picture. Also, I don't like the 70s drapes in the background. The, those take-a-lot shelves hanging on the wall. But at least it shows the wise men came into the house. They saw Mary and the baby, and it said they fell to their knees. They... they um, bowed down, it says, uh, to worship him. This picture also shows clearly a lot of the legends that later developed about the three wise men. There was a legend that there was a, an old man, a middle-aged man, and a young man. There was a legend that there was a white man and an, uh, a man from the Far East and, and, and an African man. Uh, many legends grew up in the reason those legends grew up is because people realized this is the first time the Gentiles realized that this was the king of kings. You know all those other revelations? I mean, Zechariah knew. He was a good Jew. Elizabeth knew. She was a good Jewish woman. Um, Mary and Joseph knew that the king of kings had come into the world. The shepherds knew. These are all people of Israel. God revealed it to pagan priests from another country that this was the king of kings and they were to go and worship him. Not just to give gifts, but to worship him, to honor him, to bow down before him. Because of that, many the early traditions were that, well, surely... The Gentiles must represent every race. They must represent every age. I don't know why no one said they should represent women, but they didn't. If it had been women, they'd have gotten there faster. <laughs> they would have asked directions along the way. <laughs> and they would have brought a, ca a casserole for that poor woman who was sick of Nando's. And, and finally, they would have cleaned the house, I'm sure. But uh, <laughs> these guys just, just brought gold, frankincense, and myrrh. The gifts you bring to kings. The story of the star is really a remarkable one. 
We don't know what this was. We really don't. The Bible uses the word star. Something bright in the night sky both led the Magi and stopped in certain places. Now, you and I know that the nearest star to the planet Earth is 4.2 million light years away. So I don't know how you'd see a star and say, oh, look, it's right over this house. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no, wait, maybe it's this house. <laughs> um, some scholars have said there was a, um, in the year 6 BC, which for all we know could have been the true year of the birth of Christ, there was an alignment of Pluto and Jupiter, which could have caused a very powerful light, brighter than any star. Still, a little high to have been pointing to one house. <laughs> Recently, and this is, I took this picture from an article about uh, uh, some, some scholars who were saying it, it's more like a comet. You can follow a comet. You can see where it's going. And it appears to stop sometimes. But unless the Magi had some sort of, you know, early um, calculating instruments, it would have been still hard for them to determine exactly what house you know, the comet is over. Um, I, I'm more inclined personally, and this, I don't know, I'm not, I wasn't there, but <laughs> I'm more inclined to believe this was a supernatural phenomena. Either God sent, maybe there was a, an angel so bright they couldn't see the face, but was just leading them, or, or some other inanimate object that was like a bright little sun rolling through the heavens that God sent. Um, and, and perhaps one day, you will open up Google and they will have figured it out. And they'll be able to say, they'll say exactly what that star was. But it was a remarkable thing. But um, a, lot of, a lot of conjecture and yet not real certainty about what exactly this celestial thing was. So, what do we know from Matthew? All we really know, distinguished foreigners visited Jesus because they saw signs in the heaven that a great king was being born and they brought him costly gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Their studies showed them that this king was being born in Judea and they concluded that this was a king of the Jews being born. But if a new king was being born and this prophecy that the Magi brought was true, then the new king would either usurp Herod or one of his children. Whoever this king was, he was a terrorist to Herod. And Herod was determined to be rid of him. There's many things we know from church tradition. Uh, and I want to be clear about this because what I'm about to say is not in scripture. But many traditions rose up from the very earliest years about the Magi. Uh, the Eastern Orthodox Church says there was 12. You know, it doesn't say how many Magi there were. An early church father, Tertullian, said that because there were three gifts, they began to say there were three Magi, but there's, you know, could have been four, four, four Magi brought gold and six brought <laughs> frankincense um, and two brought myrrh, um, <laughs> myrrh than that. Um, most likely, the Magi were from the Persian Empire. Um, we know that the uh, state religion of the Persian Empire 
was Zoroastrianism. And we know that their priests were called Magi. <laughs> so this seems fairly obvious. Um, we know that the Persian Empire was to the east, that the Magi came from the east. And we know that the Magi were astrologers, and they believed that great events could be prophesied by signs in the sky. Uh, these are things that are not said, but some of which we are, are, are quite likely and we are probably entitled to believe. Um, we do know that the story that they came from many countries is probably not true, only because in Matthew 2, it, said, it uses apparently a singular noun to say they returned to their country. Not to their countries, to their country. So they were going back to one country. They apparently all came from the same place. And finally, the gifts. The gifts they brought. The traditional church has created a theology around the gifts that is beautiful. It's really wonderful. Gold, frankincense, myrrh. Because those three gifts are highly symbolic. Gold is for kings. Gold indicates a person with all the power and the resources. It indicates a person who rules. Frankincense is, indicates the presence of God. Um, even to this day in, in quite liturgical churches, um, at important moments, they will swing the censer, the incenser, and uh, so that the incense will fill the church, so that people are reminded that God is here, the very presence of God. The third gift was myrrh, and myrrh is used for anointing, but it is most typically used to anoint someone for burial. To this day, the Eastern Orthodox Church uses myrrh. They have a, a sacrament that they call extreme unction, which is a sacrament you perform as a person is dying. And it's a mixture of oil and myrrh that they bless the person. And the priest will ask for, their, for a, con a confession of any sins. And they use the myrrh to, as a beautiful, sweet smell to send the person on to be with God, to go to heaven. Myrrh is a sign of death. Uh, you might think that's very odd that they would bring a sign of death to the baby Jesus. But think of that. Gold, king. Frankincense, God. Myrrh, the one who must die. The one who must die for us. I think those wise men had, had quite a bit of understanding about who this child was. Great. Um, legend says they later became Christians. We don't know that, <laughs> but they might have. Um, they may have continued to follow, you know, from a distance the story that this, this king that they had greeted all those years before was performing miracles and raising people from the dead and, and they're realizing, oh my goodness, he wasn't just an earthly king, 
We don't know this, but we do know that there's a church in Cologne, Germany, the Cathedral of Cologne, that has a golden box that they say holds the remains of all the wise men that they brought from the Holy Land during the Crusades. Um, we know that in Greece, on Mount Athos, there is a shrine of, um, and you can actually go in and look at these uh, little gold boxes that hold, supposedly, the remnants of the gifts. Remnants of gold and frankincense and myrrh. Uh, many traditions have risen around the gifts. Um, the church named January 6th as the Feast of the Epiphany. The Epiphany. The Epiphany of the Wise Men. What Epiphany? Their realization, at least, that Jesus was King of the Jews. But there may have been more. As they listened to Mary and her telling her stories, and how did all this start? Well, an angel of God came and told me I was pregnant. Like, what? <laughs> I'm sure they weren't expecting that one. Um, the Feast of the Epiphany is at least the revelation, the first revelation to Gentiles that Jesus had, was the son of, not the Son of God, but was King of the Jews. They may have believed more. They may have believed more later in their lifetime as they heard stories about Jesus. Again, tradition says they later were all became saints, became born again. Um, we don't absolutely know that. Um, I've had some epiphanies in my life. Wanted to share with you. I've had three. An epiphany is a moment that changes everything. It's a realization, could be a manifestation, could be a visitation, but where God speaks something and everything's different. For me, the first was when I was 22. I was in university, I was reading a book on theology for some course I was doing. I was not a religious person, I <laughs> wasn't saved, but I was reading this book and I remember suddenly thinking, oh my goodness, this is all true. I remember looking across, I was in the university library, looking across an empty lobby, thinking, this is true, this is real. I'd love to tell you I had a moment of obedience and just fell on my knees. I didn't. <laughs> but the moment of revelation was inescapable. You know, John 6, 4 says, unless a God draws a man, he doesn't come. Well, God was drawing me that night and over that course of that year, um, I did come to really bow my knee to Jesus through a Christian friend who started inviting me to things and for the first time I started saying yes and <laughs> to Christian events and he bought me a Bible and uh, he taught me to really read the Bible and study the Bible. It was the beginning of everything, the, my epiphany with Jesus. Second epiphany, I stepped off the plane in Africa when I was 24 years old and I looked around 
and it was during the rainy season, and the greens were green, and the blues were blue, and the flowers were so bright. And I said, this is the most beautiful place I've ever seen. This is like heaven. And I just knew that I was supposed to live in Africa. I was called to Africa. I wasn't called to go back home. <laughs> um, now, I did go back home after. I was supposed to be there a year. I stayed there two and a half years. <laughs> uh, eventually came back with my wife. We spent time in Kenya before we came here. And as it turns out, uh, since that revelation, since that epiphany 36 years ago, I have been in Africa 24 and a half years. And uh, yeah. <laughs> when God tells you to go somewhere, just go. <laughs> what about family? What about friends? What? I don't know. He'll have to figure that out, won't he? He's the one who told you to go. <laughs> and then when I was 29, was my third moment of epiphany. I'd been really like, noticing this girl, you see, and just thinking, wow, she's great, she's incredible, and oh my goodness, and she's so godly, and, and, <laughs> and um, so I began to, first, well, first I did what any godly man would do, I repented, I said, no, I'm, I'm not chasing girls, no siree, absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, <laughs> I kept thinking about her and finally, finally I set time aside to pray and fast and ask God and I did. I prayed for like five days. I thought I'd have to pray for a month because this was so important. But I fasted for five days and on the sixth day I woke up Sunday morning and um, just had a moment, had like a two minute moment where God just said, yeah, I am showing you Caroline Grabo, because she's going to be your wife. I'm doing this. It's not you. It's me. And I knew that I knew that God was saying it. I knew that it wasn't me. I knew it was him. That was my third epiphany. Three important moments that change everything. When you have an important moment, when God gives you an, epif an epiphanic moment, <laughs> just say yes. Say yes, Lord. As Mary said, be it done unto me according to thy will. And, uh, and he has all good things for you. You know that. You know that he desires for you to be blessed in your life. You know that he actually uh, wants you. You know that every good thing works together for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Knowing Jesus, living in Africa or wherever you're called to live, uh, marrying the right person, oh my goodness, all things will work together for good. Now, I need, to, I need to close now. Um, that's uh, in that song, We Three Kings. I just want to point out one phrase. The last verse. Glorious now behold him arise. King and God in sacrifice. And that's the symbolism of the gifts. King, God, sacrifice. Whew. Thank you, Jesus. Do you ever wonder what it was like for the Magi to go home? <laughs> it's like, oh man, what a drag. We've been like here in the center of the universe and everything important is happening here. And ah, 
we've got to go home. <laughs> and we've got a life back there. We've got families. We've got whatever. And um, the departure of the Magi, the poet, D.H. Lawrence, wrote quite a tragic poem <laughs> about how sad they were returning. <laughs> the last line is something like, you know, back to our pagan people and their pagan gods. <laughs> But know this, epiphanies change us. The epiphany, most of you here, you're here because you had one epiphany. You had one moment where you knew that you knew that you knew. Jesus is really God. He really died for my sins. And um, I want to pray for two groups of people this morning. First, I want to pray for anybody who, like me, knew long before <laughs> that Jesus was Lord and I just never bowed my knee. Can I ask everyone to stand? If you feel like that's you, if you feel like you've known a long time that Jesus is the Lord of the universe, I just never bowed my knee to him, never intended to let him be Lord, even though I know that I know that he's Lord of the universe. Is there anybody like that here? Because I want to pray with you if there is. Is there anybody like that here? Anyone at all? I just want to pray with you. My eyes aren't so good. Any hands up anywhere? <laughs> Any hands up anywhere? We had a couple people in the, other, in the last service. Okay. Okay. Great. Because if you're hesitant to raise your hand, I want you to come right down here afterwards so I can pray for you. Okay? Secondly, some of you heard these stories and said, I've never had an epiphany, <laughs> at least not about things that were really important that I wanted an epiphany on, where I wanted to know that I knew that I knew that God was telling me what to do. Is there anybody like that? Because I'd like to pray for you just right where you are and just pray that the Lord will give you the epiphany you need. Amen. Yes, yes, and yes, and yes, and yes, and yes, and yes. And yes, we're getting into the dozens here. Okay, I'm not stopping until there are hundreds. Is there anyone? <laughs> I'm just joking. <laughs> okay, well, good. I'm going to pray for you. If you're saying in your heart, I do need God to tell me something. I need him to break through. And I need to be absolutely sure of what's going on in this part of my life, whether it's relationship or career or ministry. Um, I'm going to pray for you right now. Okay? Jesus. Bless these dear people, Lord God. Father, bless them with a supernatural revelation in this area that they need help with, Lord God. Help them, Lord God, to be sure that you're speaking. Help them to know which way you're pointing so that they can be obedient. Lord, so that they can just obey you. Father, bless them as they listen. Bless them as they look. Some I know will need to fast and pray. But Father, let them have the thing their heart desires, a clear word, message, epiphany from you in the area that they're concerned about. Father, I ask that you'd bless them, give them peace as they pursue you, but then let them hear you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. amen.